0: You're listening to the ESPN Footy Tips AFL Podcast.
1: Hello and welcome to the finals edition of the ESPN AFL Footy Tips Podcast. Avid listeners might notice a slightly different voice today hosting, and that's correct. My name's Neil Seawang. I'm in the host seat due to Matt Walsh gallivanting around Europe for a couple of weeks, which is nice if you can get it. Um, but I'm not the only change that's uh, come on board for this week Today we've got Jesse Robinson Who normally sits on the other side of the desk producing the show He's joining us on air He's the number one ticket of the Sydney Stack Fan Club Hello Jesse, welcome aboard Pleasure to be here, thanks for having me Jake, big weekend for you mate How was Sonny Bendigo? It was sunny.
2: First, uh, first time I felt the, the sun on my, on my face in about three months And Bendigo was great I've never been there before
1: You were there for the uh, Jeff Horn fight for ESPN and, and how did that unfold for you?
2: Uh, well, not as anyone expected. He got beaten soundly. So who knows? Could be the end of his career. But yeah, it was quite the uh, quite the trip out to Bendigo. See a lot of a lot of different things. Jesse, I know you're a bit of a country boy. You you you're quite familiar with those
3: parts. Beautiful part of the world. Played a lot of volleyball and basketball growing up in Bendigo. You know, it's nice that you're getting out of the city
1: and getting to see a bit more yeah. of the world. Yeah, don't do that too much. Um, and as always, hello again to Champion Datas, Christian Jolly. Hey, how are you? I'm very well. This is when we'd normally ask you how many games of footy you watch over the weekend, but that might not be the case this, this no. week. Two. You, so, you saw two uh again?
0: Saturday was out at Punt Road for Richmond Essendon VfL game and Sunday uh yesterday was at Box uh at Port Melbourne to watch Box Hill beat uh sorry, Werribee beat Box Hill. You didn't so, happen to catch the uh
2: the brilliant E J. Whitten Legends game?
0: No, I missed that. I saw the half time <laughs> score, uh one seventy one, one fifty and just quickly just scoring. changed channel. Yeah. <laughs>
1: It's good to get to local footy. We might we might touch on that a little bit later and, and the, the the pros and cons of the, the pre finals by. But there's lots to discuss, so let's dive into our first segment. It's time for three on three. Three on three is where we try to discuss three of the biggest topics um of the week in three minutes or less and we always go well over so we might have to change that title for next year but finals are finally here i think everyone's pretty excited the week off's given us all chance to, to recharge the batteries and and get really excited for the week ahead and i think looking at these this, this final series that there does seem to be seven teams that that may they may all have claims to to possibly win the flag there's some quality teams in there but one stands out as maybe not not quite being at that level. And the team that we're talking about is Essendon. Um, Jake, do you think the Bombers are the one team that, that maybe doesn't really deserve to be in September?
2: Well, it's always hard to say someone doesn't deserve to be there when they made it. It's not it's not one game you got to win to, to make finals. You've got to get there over the course of the season. And to their credit, they have. But if you break down a lot of their games, they had that five-game winning streak in the second half of the season... And everyone was like, well, the Bombers are one of the form teams of the comp. But it's like, well, they weren't really winning many quarters in that stretch. They were just sort of falling over the line and getting the job done when it mattered. And full credit to them. Can they go on and, and win four games in finals? Hell no. There's no way that's happening. I can't see see them getting past the Eagles over there, who are going to be fuming after after dropping out of the top four.
3: Well, as Christian always tells us, the most important stat in footy is how many points you can kick. Yeah. You know?
0: and they've done that enough to make it to finals so maybe they can continue doing it. So I've taken a more holistic view on that and they've actually lost the season so they've scored fewer points than they've conceded across the year so their percentage of 95.4% it's the 10th lowest percentage to ever make finals and it's the 4th lowest since 1918. So again they've sort of again you look at the win-loss column um, and they get in there because they've won more games than their closest rivals but Again, I sort of, I sort of, you know, cheekily flagged in the pre-pod meeting. We should change the change the ladder to percentage because I think percentage is a much better guide to how you've actually played across no the whole way. season. No way, <laughs> I think Hate that, that, was a idea. Che-
1: that was a cheeky way of, I guess, trying to explain just how, I guess, maybe not lucky, but the fact that the bombers maybe aren't a standout team. The fact that there was three or four teams underneath them. There's did, five that, teams that below them that finals. have a better percentage. Yeah, so that that says a lot about the, the bombers and and maybe the quality that they've brought all season. Um. The one thing that, that I guess confuses me about the bombers is I think you look at the the seven other teams and each team has a really identifiable strength. Um, but'm I'm, I'm a little bit blank when I watch the bombers. so what what do they do well that can really take them deep into September?
0: So that's a, that's a um, an answer or a question I struggle with too. So I've looked at a lot of the key areas, so the, the starting points of your game. most most teams are either going to be a contested team and uncontested team and forward half team or a pressure team. Uh, so looking at all those sort of stats, so looking at Essendon, disposal differential 12th, contested possession differential 13th, uncontested 14th, time in forward half 16th, so not a forward half team, not a contested team, points for 13th, points against 12th, scores per inside 50, 14th, scoring from clearances ninth, scoring from turnovers 13th, they're the, they're the major parts of your game, That they're your, they're your starting points of your games that you sort of start from there and break down of how we're going to get better in this area or why aren't we good in this area. Essendon sort of don't rank you know they rank in the top 10 for one of those stats and that was ninth for scores from clearances so they, they are very much a middle of the road team going by the stats so you're saying there's nothing they really do that's great or even good correct so I think the best part of their game is scoring from the back line that 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 how to scale to play that sort of it works for them when it's going well but the even little, that the, the running bounces and the little surely they the lead the kicks. league
3: in running bounces well that, that
0: they probably do lead that's the league in that one step but they're, but they're not <laughs> the best team at moving the ball from the back 50 to the forward 50 so again that is their strength when they play well that's what stands out to you but across the whole season I think they ranked about 4th or 5th for moving the ball from one end to the other scoring from at mid-table again so the, the, the one strength they do have, they don't sort of dominate compared to the rest of the competition. Yeah.
2: Well, what do they need to do to actually beat the Eagles? Because we know what the Eagles are going to bring. And, and like I said before, they're going to be fuming after that loss to, to the Hawks in round 23. What are, What do the Bombers have to do in order to give themselves a chance?
0: Well, I won't rule my how about stat because I got a few uh, stats for that but I think the first one sort of what we're talking about pre is getting getting an early start taking mm. again it seems a simple and sort of uh they can't get blown a non-measurable out a measurable thing yeah. to take the crowd yeah. out of it early you, they need to be either kick the first three goals or be in the game at quarter time to sort of yeah give them a chance.
1: I think yeah any any team playing away from home especially in a final they've just got to take that that crowd element and what will give Essendon some form of comfort is they've got a reasonable record in Perth. I think they've They've beaten the Eagles and the Dockers there in, in the last couple of years. So I think that, that quicker track, if you like, in horse racing parlance actually probably suits them, the way they play. But, yeah, I'm not going to certainly put my hand up and, and give them much of a chance to beat the Eagles. Um, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll uh, head on to our second question, which is the, we, the difference between finals footy and home and away footy. Does everybody, um, I guess everybody when we get to this, this stage of the year, the the grass, in the, the smell in the air, the sun shining in Melbourne for the first time in about four months, and there does seem to be a, a discernible difference between home and away footy and finals footy. The the pressure intensifies, it, just everything means more. Christian, have you got any insights on, on how footy changes once we hit spring?
0: Yeah, so the numbers sort of they do back up what you know what the perception is that it is more contested and high pressure in uh, finals compared to home and away season. So looking at the 2016 to 2018, so the last three home and away seasons versus the last three final series, um, sort of start from we'll start from the inside 50s because that's the number that stays sort of the same. So there's 105 inside 50s per game between both teams during the home and away season, Uh, there's been 104 per game in the finals in that time. So the inside 50 count doesn't change too much, but Scoring once inside fifty, teams score from about forty-three and a half percent of inside fifties in finals, down from close to forty-six percent in the home and away season. So, two and a half percent drop there, um, and their accuracy actually goes from forty-nine percent in the regular season down to forty-six percent in finals. So, it is—it's—it's—it's it's, it's not like the ball stuck in the midfield and it's you know congested. They're still getting it to either end, but I think it's the back six and the defense is a lot more man on man. Obviously, usually you've got your. You, Eight best defensive teams making finals, so you've got the better better defensives in there. But I think that's the first part of the game. Is defence is is much stronger in finals than home and away.
2: I really struggle with this because, I when you look at any sport, like and we're looking at football now, it's like you, you're playing t- for twenty three rounds a particular or twenty three weeks a particular way. That's the way that qualifies you for finals. So why should it change when you get there? I don't understand why, why it almost changes and why the te- teams play a different style in finals. It's like you should use the season to fine-tune the way you play and that should hold you in good stead in finals.
3: Is it just the pressure factor, just wanting to take less risks, that you're not going to run and bounce as much, you don't want to take the long kick, you want to find the short option, you don't want to be the guy that messes up in the final, you
2: don't want to be the one that drops the ashes?
3: Yeah, you, you remembered more if
2: you if you take that forty-five kick and you turn it over and it's and it's a goal the other way. You'll fans will remember that more than if you do that in round fourteen, no doubt. But I just find it weird that it's kind of like everything sort of does change. And you've said in the past grand finals are on another level. It's like you can throw all the stats out the window when when it comes to the grand final because nothing ever really stacks up as you as you correct, might imagine. We've
0: had some yeah unusual numbers games in grand finals, and it's almost in finals in general. I mean, exactly that. You you home and away gets you there. Um, again, it's it's that unknown, but finals 40 is different, so sort of even though a team, you know, they'll play 22 games across the 23 weeks, I think every team is making tweaks throughout the season, trying to get stronger in one area or, you know, tighten up somewhere else so we sort, we sort of spoke about Brisbane tightening up their uh, clearance, you know versus turnover mm-hmm. game halfway through the season so I think it's the, the finals are the culmination in, in 22 weeks, we've tried these three different styles in, you know, different patches of the year, this is the style that works well for us in finals, but again, it's it's the simple factor. I think there's just a lot more man on man. I think the one thing that goes out the window in finals is zoning, and that's that's. But then a that's the other thing.
2: question. It's like why? Why does yeah, it change? Whether answer. it's from players or coaches, I find it bizarre that it does. Yeah, um, it's, it's almost really... like a different, not a different sport, but it's a completely different style when we get to finals. Scores are lower. It is more man on man. You know, it just it, it changes. It just seems weird.
1: It is very strange. And if we if we do accept the fact that it's a bit more man on man, there's more pressure. It's a bit more defensive, more congested. Are there any teams in this final series that we think that might actually benefit?
0: I think, well, going by a contested possession team, Geelong was the best contested possession side all year. So it's one of those things that we're sort of looking at Geelong saying, well, how are they going to go at the MCG? How are they going to come back from a a, a bye pre-finals? So all these things. The one thing that does stack up for them is it's a contested game in finals and they've been the best team at contested footy during the home and away season. So I think it, yeah, sort of holds them.
1: I reckon the, the Doggies too. The Doggies play that beautiful congested um, manic attack on the ball through the, the the pressure that they put on through the midfield as well. So um, I wouldn't be surprised if if the, with the the momentum that they've got going forward, that they actually they go pretty deep as well.
2: There's another team, uh, Richmond, who are pretty decent as well <laughs> uh, through the midfield. And, Jesse's and, ears just pricked up. Yeah, he's getting excited over there. But no, they are. Look, I I mean they're the Premiership favourites for for good reason. They're they're storming into September, and look, we saw them win a flag playing like that, and we saw them go pretty close last year as well. So they're going to be right there again.
1: Jesse's the only one out of out of this group that's actually seen a, a premiership in recent years. Well, he wasn't years. there. He didn't
3: go. <laughs> what but happened, Jesse? Couldn't get tickets to that game, but um, I think whoever gets there this year, that's going to be based on that midfield kind of stuff for that contested ball. And as much as we say that like, defense wins championships and there's really strong defensive teams, look at the midfields that we've got coming up in this final series. Mm. Like Brisbane, Collingwood, Geelong, mm. all of them have claims to be the best midfield in the competition.
2: And we touched on it last week, I think that all the top players, so many of the game's elite stars are all hitting form at the right time, which is great to see. I mean, that's what you want. You want all the game's best players playing well heading into finals.
1: Yeah, I think it's fair to say we all can't wait for the games to to start from Thursday and I guess that takes us to the weekend just gone and the the pre-finals bye. It was introduced a few years ago when the AFL got sick of teams resting their players and effectively tanking and not really caring about the last round of the season for integrity purposes and I can understand why the AFL decided to bring that in but... There's a lot of pros and cons about this. Players, um, the media, uh, broadcasters—I'm sure they've all got strong opinions. So where where do we stand? I know from a media point of view, I was happy to, to have a bit of a breather and, and not have to cover any footy this weekend. But the fan in me was really, really hungry for the for the games to start.
2: Yeah, I don't mind it. I think the first year was it? Was it 2016 was it? Yeah, it was yep. when the dogs Bulldogs, when the yeah. dogs won. Um, when first got introduced, I was like, "This is terrible. I hate this idea. I want football. I can't have. I don't want to have a week where we just have nothing." But then it's funny how everyone just gets used to it. Now it's like, oh, you don't even think about it. And then how great is it when the ball's finally bounced in that first final after the 10 or 11 days um, in between? It's it's great. It builds the atmosphere. It builds everything. Oh, I don't mind it. And as you say, from a from a work, <laughs> workload point of view, gee, it's nice not having to, to, to get a preview together for the round and have a look ahead. So, yeah, yeah. no, it is a bit
0: of a relief. Yeah, I, I absolutely love it. Um, is it because not you do have to work No, hard, well, then? I did work, so... Um, <laughs> No, not for not from the, you know work side of things. Just it almost introduces a new season. You sort of and it, I was seeing that you're getting to round twenty three. You know, pre two thousand sixteen, and it was it was teams resting twenty players in the final round, limping through, a few tired players playing finals, having five six day turnaround to sort of get up for that first final. Now that ten fourteen day break, we got again. We just talked about how good a form the stars mm. are in we might get a few more stars back because of this extra break so you know we might talk about degoey and Nick Nat and blokes like that that have a chance to play now that they've got the extra week to prepare but I love it keep it's almost like you're introducing a new season home and away season finishes and in two weeks later we'll start the new season you want everyone to be fresh as well like you know
2: it's all well and good to go and fight really hard to win it and throw your body on the line every week but it's going to be a good thing if it, all these great players get a, an extra week of rest and then can come back and attack it at hard we're going to see better contests we're going to see if it's going to be a better product as a result of it and I think we've seen that in the last couple of years
1: I think one one thing that the the, the industry needs is, is we while there might be no games in the week before finals there needs to be something I mean they they put the EJ Witten slash AFLX game on the week I'm not sure if any of you even bothered to watch a second of that I, I, watched, I sat through about five minutes and, and that was about it
0: I saw more of the Anthony McDonald Tip and Woody song at halftime than I saw of the actual game.
1: Yeah, I actually thought it was a
2: disgrace, to be honest. Um, it it was initially my uh, my gutful, but we've we've found something else that's ticked me off even more, surprisingly. <laughs> but no, it was it was crazy. Like I couldn't believe that they've they've they I think Christian nailed it before. They've killed AFLX, and what they've done with uh, EJ Witten's legacy is a joke like you think he wants a game his name on that game where they're playing it on a on a football slash a non-contact rugby stadium. game yeah. non-contact where you got players that don't really care run around you don't okay then it's never going to be a game where they're trying to win but it's like it's pretty embarrassing you got bloody radio personalities out there that can't kick a ball it's just it was embarrassing i watched the first quarter and i was like there's got to be something better on tv
3: give us the kids i say we, we get to draft time and everyone all of a sudden becomes a draft expert. Everyone knows everything about Sam Walsh and Xavier Dersmer and the King boys, all this kind of stuff. Let's see them. We've got a whole week with no footy. Put them on the big stage and let's actually get excited about these draft prospects before we have to decide if we love them or if we don't want them on our team on draft
2: day. Forget the kids; don't want to see the kids. You don't want to see no. them. I think don't that would be brilliant. We well, get the, get the Brownlow Medal
1: in. Why? Well, the, well, why can't you have both? Do the Brownlow no on kids. Friday night or something like that. Make nah, who needs a Brownlow like, on a Monday night? You want well, to leave. We don't want the weekend. Brownlow on but a
2: Monday. Brownlow on a Monday is crazy. But I love
1: the idea of an uh, under eighteen showcase. If if you want to see the best kids in the land, and and you know if there's. If your team's not going to play finals, it's fantastic. The draft's the most exciting part of the year. That no, would be pretty good. But
2: <laughs> it, could you, if they had the brown low on the Saturday night of the bye week, how much better would that be? It'd be a much, it'd be an event people actually more interested in. It'd be the, it would be the the because thi- it gets lost almost in grand final week, um, and it's not bigger than the grand final. Whereas it would be the standalone biggest event of that week in the AFL. Do you reckon the the, the, the a few players would be having a cheeky brew?
1: I reckon a Saturday night might be a little bit better for them. Although, if they're in off-season, every single night's a night out, isn't it? It's yeah. a good reason.
3: Like, how can you not attend? Like, I understand week of the grand final, maybe West Coast don't want to come o- yeah. over early, mess up their preparation. If it's the bar and they've got a week off. What's yeah. your excuse?
2: Yeah.
1: I think we've just sold, solved one of the big issues from the AFL, so we'll, we'll, we'll get cut some royalties. No, take that, no, <laughs> We'll move on to our next segment. How about stat? With Champion Data. One of the best things amongst many of having Christian Jolly from from Champion Data here is his ability to bring us the stats that the layperson doesn't quite um, get to see and and understand. So we're going to have a look at each finals game. We think it's time to really dive into every single game that we've got ahead of us this weekend. So I'll hand over to you, Christian, for West Coast Essendon. What should we expect?
0: Yep. So what I'm going to do here with the four games, it's not going to be a deep, full-on dive into all the numbers. I mean, don't have time to cover everything about a game, but sort of... Want to sort of bring for the listener what you should be watching out for on the night, what 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 each team's strengths and weaknesses are, and sort of what the key to the game is. So, um, with West Coast and Essendon, it's it's quite easy. There's a, there's a couple of numbers that you should be looking out for. So, West Coast, if they take this is going by like across the last two years, if West Coast take ninety one marks in a game, they've got a record of twenty eight wins, two losses. If they don't reach ninety one marks in a game, they're six and eleven. So it's almost that one. If they get their kick, you know, we know they like to play the kick and mark style game. Uh, that's the number. That's the number to look for. So, 90, if they reach ninety-one, they're going, you know, every chance to win that game.
1: So. Talking back to what we were previously discussing about the fact that the finals are a little bit more man-on-man, that maybe points to the fact that the Bombers might need to play a little bit more man-on-man and, and just restrict those uncontested marks.
0: Uh, correct, but even that's going to be hard. I mean, West Coast is one of the best contested marks as well, so this is all, all marks. So it's not just West Coast, it's not a lot of their marks are just sideways kicks and easy marks. They do have Shannon Hearn, McGovern taking the intercept marks down the line, and then they've got, they can kick long to Kennedy and Darling, so... Again, it, it it won't be that easy for Essendon to stop by just saying, "Well, if we man up on them, they'll stop marking." It's like you've got to actually beat them in the air as well. Um, so, looking at Essendon, when they've conceded not fewer than ninety-one marks this year, they're thirteen and six. So it's a good benchmark for them as yeah, well it really to is. sort of you know sort of have that ninety-one circuit on the board. Um, the other stat for West Coast, so we've been banging on about it since I think the first um, podcast we did for the year, is their ground ball gets. They're, they've never been good at it. Um, across the last two years, again, negative 484 ground ball gets, uh, which ranks 18th across their matches. Gold Coast at negative 378 of the next worst, almost 100 wow. better than them. Um, <laughs> but with West Coast, again, all they do is got to get within 10 of that stat. So if they win or get within 10 of the ground ball gets, they're 22 and zip in the last two years. If they lose that count by 10 or more, they're 12 and 13. So they don't need to win the ground ball get, get counts. They just got to make sure Essendon don't get too far How on many top of it. ground
2: them? ball gets would there be in, in the average game uh, per team about 70 70 okay
0: it's
1: a it's a it's, a, it's, it's becoming a bigger and bigger yeah, statistic we might it?
2: need a deep dive into ground ball and what, what sort of constitutes an actual ground ball because I'm I'm a can little can you tell us off the yet, top of your oh, head so
0: it's basically hard ball gets and loose ball gets um, so basically yeah it, it's it's what the name implies. It's winning it at ground level from a contest when anyone could have won it. Mm. Um, and sharking an opposition hit out as well is also another way to sort of win a ground ball get. So it's a ball that you've won that hasn't been passed to you. It's, you know, been won in a contest. So it's a type of contested possession. Uh, so they're the two numbers you should be looking at for West Coast marks and ground ball gets. Essendon, um, quite a simple one, really. Score 74 or more. 11 and zip this year. Score under 74, 1 and 10. That's unbelievable. So that's the score they've got to reach. They've, they've got to reach to go 74. Out and- <laughs> And, and that's
2: going to be a challenge in a final because we all know that scores, as you say, it's more one and one. There's it's, it's harder to score and scores are lower. So seventy four doesn't seem it doesn't like doesn't seem that like much, much, does it? Also, I reckon they, they, they'll struggle to struggle to get there. How yeah. Really? So
0: again, it's just for for the you know as we've sort of saying the layman on the couch. That's that's going to be a good indicator if if they're if they're on about you know thirty or forty at halftime, they're pr- probably tracking all right. If they've, they've struggled only kick two or three goals in the first half, then so they might be in a bit of a Bit of problem coming. it all the second comes back for that
2: start, doesn't it? They it just, does. Think, they, yeah. they can kick four in the first quarter. There'll be there'll be a real chance.
1: Fantastic. What about uh, Geelong Collingwood? This is an absolute mouthwatering clash. It's going to be an enormous crowd at the MCG. Geelong famously hosting at uh, against yeah. the, the Magpies at the MCG. So how's that one going to look? So
0: this one's very very similar. Um, the way the two. Game styles that they play are very similar. Um, And we spoke about just before, Geelong contested possessions. So again, the one stat that you want to look at there, Geelong, they win the contested possessions this year, 16 and zip. They lose the contested possessions, 0 and 6. That's unbelievable. So it it is just... How important is that? Exactly. It's a straight... Straight line down the middle of whether we win or lose uh, contested possessions is going to match on the scoreboard. There's
2: no need for Chris Scott to even do a press conference afterwards. It's always like, well, here's the stat sheet. You know, you know what we did and do, and you know what we did, and it's like that's that's it. That's Correct, so yeah. it's so clear cut. I've never known a stat to just be so like define a team so much. Yeah.
0: So even Collingwood's not quite as clean as that. So what you got to do with Collingwood is they're actually it's when again talking about post clearance contested possession, so winning it in ground, um, winning it in general play. So with Collingwood, if they win it after the clear they win the contested possessions after the clearances by five or more, they're twelve and zip. If they win by five or less or lose that count, they're three and seven. So again, they've got to beat the teams on the spread and win the contested possession away from the stoppages. So again if you're watching the Channel 7 broadcast and clearances flicks up on the screen, you can almost throw that number out if, if Collingwood's behind or anything because it's after the clearance where Collingwood want to sort of stay on top and win the ball back that way.
1: So many times you hear about coaches and people talking about the midfield battle is going to be crucial. But, geez, this, this final is all about that midfield and, and the two powerhouse midfielders going up against each other.
2: Well, I uh, we remember earlier in the year when, right at the start of the year, when we were kind of saying, you know, look at Collingwood's midfield on paper. This is one of the best midfield that's ever sort of been assembled. And then Geelong came out and beat them in round one and it was just kind of like geelong's might actually be yeah, better yeah. so look it's going to be great i mean they might have probably are the two best midfield groups going around it's going to be a cracker
0: and sort of looking at some of the rankings for these two teams so geelong will be the first team i mentioned first and collingwood second so disposals fifth and second marks per game third and second marks inside 50 second and third contested possession differential first and third inside 50s per game seventh and sixth so they're not high inside 50 teams, neither of these two, but they're both uh, official once they go in. And Clearance is 12th and 11th. It's so they so have smart. very, very similar mm. signatures and games. So it's going to be a real battle, I think, this one. And exactly what Neil said, it's going to be that the midfield battle and who can sort of get their hands to the ball more in the contest.
1: And then we turn our attention to the following day, on the Saturday, the Giants-Bulldogs. Um, I, I guess the Bulldogs are the ones that are coming home with, with so much momentum. A lot of similar shades to their premiership year. Um, But the Giants are hosting Uh, They've got a few key players back You'd imagine So This one's a toss
0: of the coin for me this is yeah. This is a good one. I mean, it's a toss of the coin. Even though Bulldogs just beat them by ten goals three weeks ago, demolished um, them. Yeah. Is it at this venue or was it,
1: that that was it was it that was at Canberra? Was yeah, it not? So, okay.
0: Yeah. So different venue, but exactly that it, it, on the same. It's a 50-50 game. But you sort of. Go, but hang on, three weeks ago, GWS couldn't get near the Bulldogs. But uh, it's very different though because because uh, the Giants went into that game as the favorite. The Dogs were the un- they're the underdogs.
2: They relished that underdog tag and they they won. I don't. They're the favorites now. I don't know how they're going yeah, to go. Surprising as that they're favorites. Yeah.
0: I would have thought. Playing, you know, lower on the ladder and playing away, and mm. somehow the bookies have them favourites. But uh, th- these are the two safest ball-using teams. So l- looking at disposals per turnover, they're one and two. Um, whereas, but they do it in different ways. So sort of the Bulldogs are more uh, of like to flick it around. So they're more um, a handball team, and GWS are more of a kick team. So looking at their uh, kick to handball ratios. Uh, the Bulldogs have the third lowest kick-to-handball ratio, so sort of handball at the third most often of any team. And GWS have the fifth highest kick-to-handball ratio, so they kick a ball. But neither team turns it over. So they've got, both got different ways of protecting their ball movement. I'm surprised there's two teams that handball the ball more yeah. than the Dogs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can't remember off the top of my head who they were. Um, Richmond? No, Richmond was just slightly higher. Um, uh, I think North, North were definitely one of the teams below them. I can't remember the second one. Um, but, yeah, looking at, again, looking at the one number that sort of stood out to me that um, would be a good guy for the game. First quarter's for GWS, so win the first quarter this year, 10 and zip, lose the first quarter, 3 and 9. So you can almost get a gauge on in, in that first quarter of how GWS are well, looking did for the game. you did say
2: earlier that you we watched the first five minutes and you have a pretty good indication of who's going to win Yeah, that. and I
0: think that's more both ways. I think Bulldogs are very good at getting a very quick start. Mm. We've seen that in the last three or four weeks. Um, their game in Ballarat against Adelaide was a good example of that. And GWS is just one of those teams that you can just sort of tell some days when they're a bit off. They sort of, you know... They they, they, get they
2: look... It's not, it's not that they're not trying, but it's almost like they don't look like they're giving 100% sometimes. Yeah. Now, in a final, you, you don't expect that to happen, but I know what you mean. It's almost like, why are they not playing like... Because I've always said about the Giants, they have the biggest discrepancy or range if you like between their best and their worst more than any team Port Adelaide and Fred they might be frustratingly inconsistent but I reckon the Giants their best is unbelievably good but their worst is horrific and you see them you see it a lot
3: they really need to deliver this September don't they we've been asking questions about them for years about the continued failures and losing to the dogs those years ago and getting pumped by Richmond really need to see
1: something out of them this week I completely agree Jesse and do we think that there's rising pressure on Cameron, Leon Cameron, if if the Giants bow out, you know, without winning a final? Because, you know, he's famously been mocked for having the keys for for the Ferrari and still being on his p plates. But, you know, he's got a team that's laden with so much talent. And if they crash out again, then surely he's got to be under pressure. I
2: don't think anyone would have believed you five years ago if you said that the Giants won't even make a grand final in the next five years. There were people saying that they could win four or five in a row, which we all know that's unrealistic because it hasn't happened. Five hasn't happened before, but. Yeah, I mean, there's got to be pressure because there is talent. And look, they've had a lot of players leave and they've had injuries, but that's what happens.
1: But They've got to win.
2: They've got to
0: win this weekend. I they think, have to win. I it. think all this feeling must be reflected in those bookies odds, which I was just talking about. Maybe that's what's also led them to be sort of longer odds for this week. One of just how much can we trust GWS in finals? So Very possibly. And might be happening in the punting. So a couple of other numbers just quickly on this game. Um, so GWS score to reach is 83 points. So if they score 83 or more in a game, 11 and zip. If they score under 83, they're 2-9 and nine this year. Um, and for the Bulldogs, it's, again, contested possession is a good indicator for them. Win it by 5 or more, they're 8-0 and zero this year. If they win it by less than 5 or lose the count, they're 4-10. and 10. So, again, need to get their hands on the ball. And just a quick look at it. GWS want to score from clearances. Um, top 3 for scoring from clearances. Bulldogs top 3 for scoring from intercepts. So, again, very different game. Mm. If you're looking at this you know, and you see the clearance stat flick up and GWS are ahead by 10, no need to panic for a Bulldogs supporter because you're going to get them on the intercepts. If, as a GWS supporter, though, it comes up and Bulldogs are winning clearances by 10, you know you're in trouble because that's the that's sort of key to your game.
1: Which could easily happen. Look at the way the Dogs are have, have, have mauling teams yeah. from the inside. Which is in what I think they did to so.
0: Yeah, last time they played.
1: We'll move on to the last game of the weekend. I think Jesse's eyes are lighting up here. His, his boys are heading up to Brisbane to play the Lions. Um what are we going to what are we yeah, going to so this, yeah, one this I've, is an interesting
0: one this is I've, I've looked at a bigger picture stat so rather than taking out just a, a game style thing i think uh, richmond have won the last 13 times between these two teams so i think that's the most dominant uh, consecutive win streak uh, between any two teams at the moment but they've actually won 17 of the past 19 between them with Brisbane winning one and a draw the other time, so Brisbane have beaten them once in nineteen times. Some teams just
1: have, just get on those rolls, don't they? And they just either match up well or get the the mental edge over a team, and they just go on these absolutely unbelievable runs.
0: Yeah, and then sort of drilling into the game style, two very clear different game styles. So Brisbane's second for kick meters per game, uh, which Richmond ranked fourteenth in, but Richmond are number one for handball meters per game, which Brisbane ranked sixteenth in. So we're going to see Brisbane try to sort of move that ball more directly, longer get into a more open forward line and we're going to see the Richmond handball game you know if, um, if they're on top we're going to see Richmond yeah just outrun them and overrun them with handball just watch for the bounce back I'm really big
3: on the bounce back factor and Brisbane finally I think got some credibility when they beat Geelong and then Richmond kind of put them back in their place a little bit and I reckon they'll be really keen at home to get back on top and show what they're made of it so it wasn't you... a
2: thumping loss though I, I think a lot of and it could have been to their credit they they fought well the lines in the second half of that game and kept it Pretty I mean, they got back to a goal, um, so yeah, it wasn't a, a horrific loss by any stretch. And as you say, they've been really good at the Gabba this year. I, I think Richmond will win, but gee, you can make so many, so much of a case for the Lions. And who knows? Like the, the winner of this game, they're they're in a great spot to win the whole thing. They
0: are. So the other part of this game is. Um, Again, it's going to be about Brisbane and the clearances. That's where their key is. So Brisbane this year, 11-1 and one, when they've won clearances or broken even. That one loss came in round 23 against Richmond. Brisbane won the clearances by 16 in that game, but lost. So, and this, the win by 16, that's their best game, best clearance differential they've had in a game this year. So it's almost like Chris Fagan, I can picture. The last week or so, he would have been sitting there with every single stoppage up on screen. Defining why? How did we win it? Why didn't we score from it? Why did Richmond score the other way? So to to have such a domination in that one stat that they sort of hang their hat on, and to lose a game, it's almost like if they can fix that one area, they're back to being even with Richmond, and it's game on again.
1: I, I know I can't wait. That the one matchup I can't wait for is the the Charlie Cameron versus Dylan Grimes matchup. There was a lot of controversy last time they matched up with the holding non free kicks, if you like, and 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 Grimes did a stand up job, and on one of the probably the the key the best small um, forward in the game at the moment. So that's going to be one of the key key battles to watch. All right, thanks for that insight, Christian. We will move on to what is now firmly established as our favourite segment of the podcast.
2: I've had a gutful.
1: Jake, I'm going to hand this over to you. What have you had a gutful of over the past week or so?
2: Well, as I said, the EJ Witten Legends game was horrific, to say the least, very disappointing, but... There was something else I couldn't believe and it was it's the MVP award. Everyone loves the, the AFL MVP award and it's it's a great honor. Congratulations to Paddy Cripps who had a great year. What I couldn't believe is that the guy that may win the Brownlow Medal, Patrick Dangerfield, who's the best player in the competition right now and maybe the best player of the last 7 years. He couldn't win the award. He could not win the award. He could not poll one single vote in that award for the most valuable player in the AFL, which he clearly is. Because so of the way they structure the, the voting process. So each team has to nominate three players in which their peers from other clubs can vote on. Geelong didn't nominate Dangerfield as one of their three. They had Tim Kelly, Mark Blitzarves, and Tom Hawkins. So they haven't gone with with Danger, their best player. I don't get that. So that's one thing. But then the other part of it is, why do you only have to nominate three? Why can't you just vote for anyone who you think is the best player in the comp? Why do you have to vote for... Three that have been nominated by the club It makes no sense So basically going into the night Darcy McPherson from Gold Coast Had more of a chance to win the AFL MVP award Than Patrick Dangerfield He had
1: a a good year young Darcy
2: He had a good year (laughs) But he's no danger I mean this is a disgrace They've got to fix this I don't understand how it can work like that
1: It is bizarre that I mean if you did a straw poll On the most valuable player in the comp Dangerfield would probably be in the, the top five so he's, he's established, you know, to be one of the most valuable players in the league and he didn't even get one of the three votes from his team.
2: Yeah. I'd be pretty I'd be pretty ticked off if I was Danger, I'd say, "Well, hang on a minute. You didn't say I'm not in your three
0: best players. I'm better than Mark Blitzer, come on." So I'm I'm a very big advocate for the AFL MVP trophy being one of the the best individual honors. I think it should, you know, in my eyes it should almost overtake the Brownlow oh. as um as the most prestigious award because it is it's voted on by Pete, like you know peers versus umpires who would you rather vote for you yeah but exactly that's an eye-opener to me to have that sort of explained of how the nomination process works and you know the exactly that jake pointed out that darcy mcpherson had more of a chance in dangerfield to win the thing i think yeah i think something needs to be looked at there to give them more scope to vote on more. i just don't
2: understand why you can't vote for whoever you think like i don't know why should you have to nominate someone to be like oh he was good from our team he was also good he wasn't so we're not gonna yeah i think it's probably just
0: it's probably just that that problem of if it is open slather you could end up with 620 equal winners because no one sort of takes it you know i think they sort of just don't want that to happen of sort of you know everyone having too much free reign and just writing random names down but you're right that why there has to be three at each club i know it's the same thing carlton's was cripps wietering walsh yeah how wietering and sam walsh could be in the most valuable player Mm. of the competition award is sort of like you don't even need to write those two names down. exactly
3: by the same token they got the right result
0: Oh, correct. Yeah, yeah, they did.
3: Paddy Cripps is probably the MVP of the AFL, and the players recognise that. So, while Danger definitely should have been nominated mm. and he should have been eligible for the award, they still got the right result.
2: Yeah, and what I love is that it's most valuable. It's not best, although he, probably, you know, he very very well may be the best player in the comp. But most valuable, he is. Look at what he look at his value to to the Blues. You know, if he wasn't there, Carlton would be in a dire spot. But he has. There were some games where he just put them on his back. And won them the game, or, or at least got them into the contest. So no, it's he's it a fair enough winner. Um, but yeah, just couldn't believe the way the the whole thing works.
1: No, fair fair rant, Jake. I don't think that I don't think Paddy Dangerfield would be would be too happy with that either. And it doesn't doesn't really. It's not a perfect system at all. But um, yeah, fair fair rent, and we shall move on. And the three votes goes to. Well, this week I'm going to be I'm looking at the the positives. I'm going to give the three votes to to local footy um we, I didn't touch on this before when we were discussing the the pre-finals bye but what one thing I loved about it was it does give you a chance to take take a, a bit of time off away from the the very top end AFL and actually go back and uh go back to your your grassroots footy um or watch a little bit of VFL or state league footy on the TV um, I know personally, I went and watched a half of, of the local Ballarat finals, which was great. You get to get up close. The stand is still really good. And, and the style of footy is a bit of a throwback to us old blokes. It's a little bit less congested. There's more one-on-one battles. Um, it's a little bit less... Tougher. It's a bit uh, tougher. Better. <laughs> you can't beat local footy.
2: I was driving down the Bendigo Main Street and they had a game on there. Is that the
1: official name of the Main Street?
2: Oh, probably. And they had... there was a there looked like there was more people there than at the Legends game.
1: Local footy's lo, local footy's great, and the community they're the heartbeat of their communities too. So, the the fact that you don't have to go and watch a, a game of AFL footy, you can go back to you know the clubs down the road, the amateurs, the juniors, the the state league, and and I, I really really enjoyed it. And the experience is a little. I'm not sure if sterile's the right word, but it's a little bit less sterile than going to an AFL. There's no. There's your seat. You've got to sit there. This is the process of, of how you watch, and there's no match day entertainment. You just get to go and sit amongst no regular people. No behavioral awareness officers. None <laughs> of them.
0: <laughs> yeah, so I, I can't agree more with this revote. So I was, as I said, was out at the VFL games on the weekend, and just um, pre-match yesterday at Port Melbourne, the VFL women's were playing. Richmond was playing Bulldogs. So I sort of had to stand around. Our box was filled with um, radio commentary, so I was sort of standing on the boundary line and walking around. And I've got two young kids, so I've got a four-year-old daughter and a two-year-old son and sort of want to get them going to the footy and just thought, can't picture taking him to an Hat or MCG at this stage, sitting Marvel, up in the stands, you know, <laughs> sorry, Marvel, yes, uh, you know, a kilometre away from the play and sort of watching some, or, you know, you get down at ground level, you might be able to see one thing. So standing on the boundary at ADCON, you could see the whole field, exactly that, you could move around, the kids would run around and I thought... If I'm going to take my kids to a game, it's going to it's going to be a VFL game. I'm I'm closer to Casey, um, Casey Fields, so I'm actually looking forward to an AFLW or a VFL game at Casey uh, Casey Fields just to get my kids involved. It it was that feeling of, I think yeah, personally me, all I do is you know work in the office ninety percent of the time, and I might go to the G or Marvel Stadium <laughs> once or twice a year. I don't I don't get to see that local footy, but it was it was just the. A different experience of being able to stand on the boundary line, walk around wherever you want, sort of get that close hear to the action. Correct, yeah. A lot of it. the
2: time, you know, whether we're in the media box or, or just sit. When I, if I just go as a fan, I generally sit further up uh, at the stadium, the grandstand, anyway. But you hear it; like you can hear the actual players, and you hear the sounds and everything of the game, which you don't really get. Um, at the big venues, but yeah,
1: and the and the food and drinks are a bit cheaper too, so that's that's always a positive. <laughs> so three votes to to local footy, and and um, you obviously don't need to wait until the the pre finals by to go and watch. It's it's really great fun to to get down to your local club and and have a look. Time to move on. We are here, thanks to Footy Tips, and a lot of competitions um, have wrapped up. Some are still going deep into the finals, but. I think I can speak on behalf of all of us. Maybe not you, Jake, but it was a tough year for tippers. I think you, you, you're you still in the mix in our competition that's going through finals. Is that right?
2: I think I'm second or third, yeah.
1: I think you were the only one out of our group that, that actually is holding their own. So, well done to you. But the interesting thing, we, we talked often, I certainly talked because I was tipping so badly, about how difficult the year was and how many upsets there were. And we've run the numbers, and this year the average score at this point of the season is 116, um, which is actually slightly better than 2017 which was 114 so there was a a year in recent history which was actually a lot tougher than this year so I don't know what I was complaining about as as the season unfolded Um, and we also want to give a shout out to this year's top five across the whole database which is 700,000 odd people that tipped Um, I wish we had last names for this because I could give them a proper shout out but Emily from Victoria on 147 that's a huge score and that's what's that that's That's 30 more than the average. So, a massive performance from Emily to finish first. Um, Marcus from Victoria, 146. Marie from Tassie, 145. Uh, Steve-O of Victoria, 145. And Adam from Queensland, a 144. So, I don't know what those guys were doing. Are they professional... Hunters or something like that?
2: Well, we'll see where they finish next year. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, so a lot of tipping competitions are all over, um, but there is a chance um, for if you want to have a bit of fun and, and challenge your mates that uh, ESPN Footy Tips do have a, a finals challenge where you have to tip, you try and tip the whole final series before it unfolds um, and you you try and get, I guess, the perfect bracket, as as we like to call it. Um, and as those that have, that have entered the competition at the moment, uh, Richmond is the most heavily backed to win the grand final on uh, 32%. Geelong 23, Brisbane 16, Collingwood 10, West Coast 10. So they're the only teams that sort of see, have a, a serious chance of going
0: all the way.
2: How the hell is Essendon 2.1% and the Giants are 1?
0: Correct. That's <laughs> what caught my eye. Not so much Essendon and the Giants. It's it's going back to what we just spoke about 10, 15 minutes ago. There's no faith in the no. Giants producing That's in That's got to be
2: Essendon. nuffies just saying we're going to win the <laughs> There's no way <laughs> Essendon... If Essendon wins the grand final... Here we go. <laughs> I don't even know what I'll do. There's no way it's happening.
1: Essendon Nuffies. I love it, Jake. Um, speaking of which, do you give the Bombers any chance for your upset of the round or your certainty of the round?
2: No, I'm not even going to look at that game because that's just, <laughs> that That shouldn't even be a game. Um, wow,
1: you are harsh on the yeah, Bombers. They're,
2: they're, C- Christian said it before. I didn't say it. Don't, no, don't, no, don't no, play no, me. No, <laughs> no the, but you only go back 20 minutes and listen to what you were saying. Essendon Nuffies, stuff.
1: email your complaint through to Jake Reynolds. <laughs>
2: Geelong, I think Geelong's a certainty. I, I, I was really hot on Collingwood at the start of the year, but I think Geelong now—they—they they beat them earlier in the year. It's—it's it's, as you say, they—they—they they've, line up pretty similar, but I think Geelong just edged them in a lot of a lot of those areas. I think Geelong just does a lot of things a little bit better than Collingwood, and I think that's going to make a big difference
0: over the course of the game. Geelong's my certainty to beat the Pies.
1: Christian, you got a certainty for us? Yeah,
0: I'll take the low hanging fruit and go West Coast. But seriously, yeah. out of the four games, the others have to be 50 50 if not oh. 53 47 or something. West Coast are, you know, I have to take them as my certainty just because the other game's so hard.
1: Jesse, are you going to go similar to that?
0: No, I'll agree with Jake and I'll take the Cats. Um,
3: they were well, the best man. team through the competition, for especially for the first half of the year. I think their game style can handle Collingwood.
1: Fair enough. I've got. I might have a, a slightly different point of view in my upsets, but my certainty, I'm, I'm with you, um, Christian. I think there's only one certainty this weekend. I can't see the Bombers getting close to the Eagles. I think they'll be really smarting after letting their top four chances slip uh, last round, and I think the Bombers will um, really, really struggle. In terms of certainty, uh, in terms of upsets.
2: Yeah. I'll, again, you've said it before, but we could make the you could make a case for all of them. But I'm going to go the Giants. I think. I Kind of touched on it before. I think the doggies went into the game against. The Giants a couple of weeks ago as the underdog, and they really relish that, and they play well. Um, I think the Giants will get a few players back. The week off will help them. Um, they'll get some some stars back into the team, and I think they're going to end the hype around the Dogs.
0: Yeah, I've gone the other. way, I've actually gone for the Dogs as my upset, and probably what I said on the pod last week. It took me a long time dogs to turn. Dogs are the upset. Dogs are the favourite. Oh well, I've it's got, pretty, well, pretty, it pretty pretty lineball. even. Yeah, it's I think I hadn't looked at the. It, yeah, might, all it, might, the odds, it might change <laughs> pretty soon. Um, no, but yeah, I'd tip the board. I just because I, I sort of said on last week's pod, I was slow to come around to it, about round 17, 18. What I've seen from them in the last three or four weeks, they are red hot and playing some of the best footy going around. So good chance to win.
1: No, I don't think anyone's mentioned the Richmond-Brisbane game yet. Jesse, the The Lions are outsiders. Are you going to go against your boys?
3: Give me Essendon. <laughs> Fair enough. Why? Make a case for them. We've been bagging them all podcast. They're going to get bagged all week. Backs against the wall. Go over to Perth and put in a real, put on a real show. In all seriousness though,
2: if the Bombers did win, would that not be like the biggest fall like for the for the Eagles to to go from winning the flag to out of top 2 to out of top 4 to out. I
1: like, think uh, I think um Adelaide and Melbourne from last year to this year might might have a say that in that was but that was over a course
2: of a yes, season true, but true. this was over like t- 12 days. I mean Oh, they better not
1: lose. <laughs> I don't think they will. My my upset will be. Um, I think I think Collingwood. I think I, I'm surprised that they're they're outsiders. I, I think they're going to get their key personnel back. I I don't know why. This, I'm, I, this is probably showing why I didn't tip so well this year. But I just haven't been sold on Geelong all year. I know that they've finished. They've been been pretty much top of the ladder all year round, and I, I still don't believe in them. So I think the Pies might actually wipe the floor with them. Oh. I think there's a few few distractions at Geelong. Um, And, yeah, I can see that the Magpies midfield getting on top, which will be so important. We shall see. I can't wait for the action. Um, We are out of time here. Thanks very much. Matt Walsh, shout out to you. Hope you're enjoying your... Your Your pinos. Your pinos (laughs) and your your ashes test coming up. Hopefully it doesn't rain all day for you. But um, looking forward to uh, this weekend's footy. And make sure you rate and subscribe us. Thanks very much. See you next time.
0: Thanks for listening to the ESPN Footy Tips AFL
1: Podcast.